I want to encourage you this morning to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a very familiar passage of Scripture. I'm sure most of us have looked at this passage many times before, but I want us to look at it today with some fresh eyes as we conclude our series on the metrics of grace We've been looking at the earmarks of what a fruitful church looks like. A fruitful church is a church that highly esteems the Lord Jesus Christ in worship. I don't know about you, but I so appreciate our praise team. Don't you appreciate uh, just our praise team lifting our hearts in worship every week? What a joy. Let's express our praise thanksgiving. What a wonderful praise team God's given to us. They work really hard to prepare us for this wonderful time of study in the Word of God. We want to always hold Jesus high. Number two, we're always ready to confess and repent. We keep short accounts. We don't let things fester. When we know uh, things have not been handled well, we admit where we have gone off the rails and we get things right. We keep short accounts with God. The third mark of a fruitful church is that they understand that this book is a supernatural book. This is not just happy thoughts from God. This is God's revealed will to us. And it's a book that can change and transform our lives. We also understand that a mark of a fruitful church is that they have uh, an insatiable desire to know God to understand who he is and to be thankful that the God that they are seeking to know more and more knows everything about them. God knows everything that has happened in our lives this past week. Right down to the thoughts that we think even before we think them, God knows. And so we want to have an appetite to know this God that knows us so well. Then last week we looked at the fifth mark of a fruitful church and that is a growing love for God and for one another. Loving relationships in the body where we put the interests of others above our own interests. This is what pleases God. But in order to do that we need to first of all love ourselves. We can't be at war with ourselves. We can't be at war with one another and experience the blessing of God in our lives. And so those have been the five marks that Jonathan Edwards pointed out to us many, many years ago. And today I want to add a sixth mark, and that is a recommitment to our calling. God has given to every single one of us a holy calling, not just the pastor, not just the leaders in the church, this calling has been given to every single one of us. And so I want you to open your Bibles to this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we want to pick it up at verse 14. Will you please stand in honor of the Word of God? For Christ's love compels us because we were convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And now let's read verse 20 together. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. 
we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Holy Spirit, open our minds and our hearts to the truth of this passage. Help us to not just read words on paper, but help us to begin to put into practice our ambassadorship under you. You've called every single one of us who name your name, who've been bought with the price, the precious blood of Jesus, whose sins have been forgiven, who are walking in obedience to you. You've called us to be ambassadors, to carry your message, not our message, your message, to those all around us who desperately need to know how much you love them. Speak, Lord, to our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. God has called every single one of us here today. In fact, he's called those that aren't even here today. He's called all Christ followers to be an ambassador for him. Now, what in the world is an ambassador? An ambassador is an individual who has been appointed by a high government official to represent the government of the country they represent to another government, to a foreign entity. That ambassador does not come up with his own words, but he communicates what he has been commissioned to do by the official that has sent him to represent him in a different sphere. And all of us as Christ followers have been called not only to be disciples, but we've been called to be ambassadors. We have been given a message that we haven't come up with ourselves, but rather we have been given a message from God, the gospel, which tells us that Jesus Christ came into the world for one purpose, and that was to go to the cross and lay down his life on the cross and then be gloriously resurrected so each of us would have the opportunity of spending eternity with him. He's called us to be his ambassadors, to take the message that we find in this supernatural book and share it with those all around us. He has not called the church to be a holy huddle. He has not called the church just to associate with those that we get along with. He's called us to share the gospel, the good news of the gospel with everyone in our sphere of influence. Now, when you stop and think about this, God really doesn't need us to do that. He could do that himself. He's God. Is that right? But in his sovereignty, he chooses to take flawed individuals like you and me who have been transformed by his grace and he gives to us a mission, a mandate to share the love of Christ with those in our circle of influence. That's what the Great Commission is all about. That's what the Great Commandment is all about. The Church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century has forgotten the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. The Great Commission is to go and make disciples. The Great Commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, and your what? Your neighbor as yourselves. But unfortunately, the longer a church is in existence, the easier it is to get into what I call autopilot. And we forget about the Great Commission, and we forget about the Great Commandment, and we focus our attention on ourselves and on our feelings and on the things we think are really important, and we have forgotten many times 
the Great Commission. A noted missionary statesman once put it this way, the whole task of the whole church is to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. Let's say it one more time. The whole task, let's say it together, the whole task of the whole church is to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. This is the privilege that God has given to every one of us as Christ followers. Now let's break that statement down. The whole task, everyone, everyone who names the name of Christ has been given a task. We've been given a commission. After coming into relationship to Christ, we just don't serve ourselves and be happy in Jesus. No, no. We seek to share what God has done in our lives with others all around us. That's why East Bay Calvary exists. When East Bay Calvary was formed many, many years ago, there were a core of individuals that had a passion to reach this community for Jesus Christ. We are standing on their shoulders. We are standing on the shoulders of many who have invested, have shared their faith. There have been many who have come to faith in Jesus Christ because they understood that the great task is not to minister to ourselves but to reach lost people for Jesus Christ. The whole task, none of us can say, it's not my responsibility. The whole task of the whole church, the entire body of Christ, must be mobilized and equipped to go and make disciples of all nations. It's not reserved for the paid professionals or the religious fanatics. Evangelism is something that all of us can do. All of us have a testimony. If we took time this morning and we went through this audience up in the balcony and here on the main floor, all of you have a story. You have a story to tell how God rescued you, how He made a difference in your life, how He transformed you. And that story needs to be shared with others that desperately are looking for hope today. The whole task of the whole church is to preach the whole gospel. You see, our message is from God. The gospel is not one of these faddish self-improvement programs. We're not to proclaim ourselves, we're not to elevate ourselves, but rather as the Apostle Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. We are to talk about Jesus. We are to have conversations about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He must be the theme of our conversations. And the gospel is the good news that God saw the mess men were in because they had discarded His love and had discarded His law. And that's why He sent Jesus. And Jesus is the center point of all history. All Old, and Old Testament history looks ahead to Christ. All New Testament history looks back to Christ. The cross is the center point of all history. And that is the message that we need to be proclaiming. That's the message our world desperately needs today. A message about Jesus. He's the one who can bring order out of chaos. He is the one that can bring meaning out of purposelessness. He is the one that can save and transform and make us brand new from the inside out. The Bible says, if the Son sets you free, you shall be, what? Free indeed. The whole task of the whole church is to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. John Wesley, the great revivalist, put it this way. He said, the world is my parish. And population analysts today tell us that there are more than 2 billion people living in our world. More than 2 billion who have not once heard the name Jesus. 
And some of those two billion live right here in Traverse City. And they live in many of the surrounding areas around Traverse City. They're our friends, our neighbors, our loved ones. Think of it. 70% of the world's population today has never been touched by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. What's, what's, what's happened here? What's happened to the church? What's happened to the body of Christ? Are we so content to be in love with Jesus that we just close our eyes to the incredible opportunities that God brings into our family and into our lives every single day? Just think about this. People that we know very well, they may be in our family, they may be at work, they may be at school. We play athletics with them. We sing in the choirs with them. We study with them. They have no direction, no spiritual compass, they have no frame of reference, they have not included Jesus in their plan. Now, as I study this passage, I'm convicted that the church must become a body that is a squad for evangelism, where people are ambassadors for Christ. And unfortunately, the church at large has failed. Tom Clegg and Warren Bird, in their book, Lost in America, put it this way, quote, the unchurched population in the United States is the largest mission field in the English-speaking world and the fifth largest globally. Now let that sink in for just a minute. The unchurched population in the United States is the largest mission field in the English-speaking world and the fifth largest globally. They go on to make some rather startling observations. The percentage of adults attending church is declining drastically in America. One in three adults in America is unchurched. Translates to 70 million. Three times as many churches are closing as are being birthed. Half the churches in America did not add one new person through conversion growth in a year's time. North America, the United States, is the only continent in the world where Christianity is on the decline. Over the next 24 hours, they say several thousand people in America will die without knowing Jesus Christ as their personal savior. Here's their conclusion. Quote, any church that doesn't shift from ministry as status quo to ministry as mission will die or it becomes hopelessly irrelevant to the people its chartered document, the Bible calls it to love, reach, and even die for. The millennials have pretty much checked out the church. Many who have grown up in the church don't want anything to do with the church. The church today has lost its sense of mission and vision. Lloyd Perry, who I studied under at Trinity in his book, Biblical Preaching for Today's World, says it better than I can quote the present-day church seems to be having transmission trouble it appears to be confused and regarding itself more as a reservoir than a channel our churches lack numbers but our prisons are full our minds are enlightened but our morals are decadent we've been majoring on minors and specializing in trivia while millions have been left to populate hell unquote 
we as the body of Christ need to recommit to our calling as ambassadors. And in this passage, it is power-packed, full of encouraging words as to how this can happen. Number one, the apostle here talks about an ambassador's mindset. And you see this in the first few verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Notice verses 1 and 2. Now we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. An ambassador is one who is certain of his destiny. And here in the opening verses, Paul is speaking about the fact that one of these days, these earthly bodies that we dwell in are going to be exchanged for a new body. All God's people said, Oh, there we go. Today, what doesn't hurt doesn't work. But one of these days, we're going to exchange it for a brand new body. Eternal in the heavens. And it goes on to say that presently, our earthly bodies are groaning to be clothed with that body that will never decay or have any limitation. And then he makes it very clear in verse 5. He says we have an incredible destiny. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You see, when you and I receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we also receive the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that if you are a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit dwells inside you? You are not your own, the Bible says. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, what? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is God's. We, as Christ followers, have an incredible destiny. It's called heaven. We long for that moment when we will see Jesus as he is. But until that time, we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot that He has commissioned us to do. But isn't it great to know that we have a destiny that is certain? Number two, not only is an ambassador certain of his destiny, he understands the goal for which he has been sent. Now, there are many times when an ambassador would like to be back home. Enjoying the good life. But he rests in the fact that he is representing someone that is depending on him to get an accurate message to the people to whom he has been sent. And yes, as an ambassador, he experiences joys, but he also experiences difficulties. But his number one goal as a representative of the one who has sent him, notice in verse 9. So we make it our goal to please him, that is the Lord Jesus, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. An ambassador is certain of his destiny. He has one aim. There's one thing that consumes him more than anything else. He lives his life with this goal in the front of his mind. Every single day, he wants to please Jesus. Is that our goal? Do we wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I want to please you today more than anything else. That the words that I say, the attitudes that I cultivate, the conversations that I have, I want to please you. That is my first and only goal today. That's what he's after. He wants ambassadors who are passionate about pleasing the living God. He says we make it our aim to please him, whether we're in the body or away from the body. The greatest ambition in life is to have the approval of God. 
You see, if that is not our number one priority, then our ambassadorship is squandered. You see, when we have a goal that is other than pleasing God, and so oftentimes it's pleasing ourselves or getting our own way, and we aren't thinking about lost people. We aren't praying about lost family members. We're consumed with us. And God wants us as his ambassadors aware of our destiny to have one goal and one goal only and that is to please the one who loved us so much that he went to the cross and laid down his life for us and then was resurrected so we could experience eternal life. The question is, are we representing our commander and chief well? Why does an ambassador pursue this aim at all cost? Look at verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body. Notice, whether good or bad. Paul tells us that there's a great inspection day coming. He's not talking here about the great white throne judgment at the end of the age when unbelievers will be present. He's talking here about the judgment seat of Christ for our only believers, you and I, who have been transformed by His grace. We will stand before Him to give an account of what we have done, how we have lived our lives since coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Have we fulfilled our ambassadorship? Have we lived to please Him? Do others know that we love Jesus? Judgment Day is coming. And Paul says the great motivator to please the living God is we know that one of these days, Inspection Day is coming. And we can't blame someone else for our failures. We can't make up a bunch of excuses. We're going to have to stand before the living God. Did you fulfill my commandment? Did you love as I've loved? Or have you lived your life with self at the very center? An ambassador for Jesus never forgets about his accountability before God, the one who has sent him or her. Number two, an ambassador's motivation. First of all, an ambassador is motivated because he understands this accountability before God. Look at verse 11. He's just talked in verse 10 about the judgment seat. He says, since then, since then we know judgment day is coming. We know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. Now he's just been speaking about One of these days, having to give an account of our lives before the living God. And when he uses the word fear here, it is not just reverential awe. It is a holy terror that he would ever disappoint the one who loved him. So many times when you see that word fear in the Bible, we translate it reverential fear here. Paul is saying there is a a sense I'm literally terrified that I'm going to have to give an account before God. And I know that God's commissioned me and I know God's called me to do this. And he is struck here with the realization that God is holding him accountable and that is why notice the last part of that verse he says we try to persuade men 
he's encouraging us as ambassadors not to coerce others into the family not to manipulate others into the family but to persuade them that word persuade means by sweetness it means we build relationships with those who don't have a relationship with the living God it means we strike up conversations with those that oftentimes we just pass by it means when we're at work we're sensitive to when others are going through difficulty and we seek to come alongside them we persuade it means we have a single aim when you are persuading you are locked in you've been praying for this person you've been asking God to lead you in a conversation and you're doing everything you possibly can to be sensitive to those teachable moments when something is said where you can jump into the conversation and persuade them by sweetness knowing the fear of the Lord knowing that God is in control and one of these days we're gonna to have to give an account to him we persuade others we understand that we are ambassadors and we've been called by the living God to fulfill his call to represent him and his message to those who have not heard number two ambassadors are not out to promote themselves notice verse 12 we are not trying to commend ourselves to you again they're not out to impress others with how spiritual we are that's not the message we have no agenda we have only one motivation and that is to promote and to persuade others with the message that we have been given by our commander-in-chief to share with others it's not about us so many times we think evangelism is about us it's not about us it's about others you see one of the aspects of evangelism is simply this we think it all depends on us <laughs> it doesn't depend on us if God is nudging you to build a relationship with someone who doesn't know Jesus Jesus is preparing their hearts for your message God has ways of opening the we are really good at talking ourselves out of evangelism oh we'll say to ourselves well, that person won't uh, that, 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 that person won't even listen to me we are so good at talking ourselves as the body of Christ out of doing what we know we ought to do and there are many many in our world today that are just waiting for someone to have a conversation with them to respond to their questions to engage them to become a friend to them we don't promote ourselves we simply promote Jesus and then notice in the third place an ambassador's appeal is compelling you see this in verse 14 for the love for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised from the grave now notice that text very carefully our motivation to share Jesus Christ with others does not come because we love Jesus now let's face it sometimes our love for Jesus is hot at other times our love for Jesus is cold and lukewarm so it's not our love that compels us to share God's love with others notice it is the Christ's love Christ's love that compels us 
when we understand that the living God longs for people to come into a relationship to Him. That's why we've been accepted into the Beloved, so that we can share the good news of the Gospel with people that desperately need to hear that. It's Christ's love. Once we understand how much He loves us, how much He understands the world, then there is something inside that drives us, that compels us to make a difference. We won't be content just to do church anymore. Pride ourselves on all the little things that we do. No, there'll be something that drives us to build relationships with people that desperately need the Lord. It's Christ's love. Look at the text again. It's Christ's love that compels us. Jesus loves people. Just think about this. He loves the people that drive us crazy. He loves them with a love where he was willing to die for them. I, I, I can't even describe that. I, I don't have words to describe that love. But that's the love that compels us as Christ followers to not do what is easy but sometimes to get out of our comfort zone and start talking to others that are just waiting for a conversation. Notice again in verse 15, the love of Christ compels us so that individuals, notice, should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. See, most people in our world today are living for themselves. It's all about me. It's all about satisfying my needs and my desires. People are not living today for anyone other than themselves. Advance myself. If I have to climb over other people and leave people in the wake, I'm going to make sure that I get things done my way. We live in a culture today where we are <laughs> we're just living for self. And unfortunately, that has crept into the body of Christ. Very few of us, and I'm talking again at large, I've been in so many different spheres. People live to please themselves. I have yet to have anybody ever come running into my office and say, Pastor, I'm so upset. People aren't coming to Christ. People that I've shared my faith with are not coming to Christ. I'm, I'm upset. Never had that happen. 50 years of ministry. But I've had people come into my office so mad because they couldn't get along with another brother or sister. I've walked into situations where the whole body of Christ is at odds with each other. How in the world, how in the world can we ever expect the world that only thinks about themselves, how would they ever be welcomed into a sphere of Christ followers who are so self-focused they can't get their eyes off? The petty things that many times drive wedges. You see, Jesus, this was Jesus' heart. You know, the best witness to an unsaved world is a unified church. When the church becomes an ambassadorship, where we have one goal, and that is to please the living God and to minister and put the interests of others above our own great things begin to take place there's hope 
Notice what he says in verse 17. He says, if any man is in Christ, he is what? He is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. But for many of us, we keep dragging around the old. When we are transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ and we are his ambassadors, we have said goodbye to the past forever. And our main objective is to share the love of Christ with each other. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, he says, My dear friends, be steadfast, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I know many ambassadors who have gone overseas for 10, 15, 20 years not seen anyone come to faith in Jesus Christ. But their labor is not in vain. There's all different kinds of witnessing. We can sow the seed. We can water the seed. Sometimes we have the privilege of harvesting the seed. But God calls us to be His ambassadors to share His ministry. And then lastly, an ambassador's ministry. You see this in verses 18 to 21. An ambassador is one who has been called with a specific ministry in mind. And what is that ministry? Look at verse 18. He gave us, that is, he's talking to the whole body of Christ. There it is in the text. He gave us the ministry of winning the argument. Oh, sorry. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation verse 19 committed to us the message of reconciliation you see as ambassadors God has enabled us we've been reconciled to God at one time we were enemies from God isn't that right but now we've been brought into fellowship with him God has reconciled us to himself and he calls every single one of us to this ministry of reconciling others, sharing the gospel with others so they can be reconciled to God on one hand and on the other to be reconciled to one another. Because until we are reconciled to one another, it will be literally impossible for us to share an authentic message that will help others be reconciled to God. This is a message and a privilege. Now, look at this. An ambassador's authority to carry out this ministry of reconciliation comes from God. This comes from God. We're under orders from God. We don't carry out this ministry because of the position we hold or because of the number of years we've known Jesus. Remember, we're all flawed and imperfect, but look at verse 18. All this is from God. Verse 20, God making his appeal through us. You see, this this reconciling work, we carry it out under the authority that God has given to us. We don't do it in the energy of the flesh. None of us can do this in the energy of the flesh. When we try, we fail. But when we trust, He succeeds. And the message that we're to give is very simple. Look at this in verse 19. He says that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and He has committed us the message of reconciliation. This verse tells us that God has dealt with the sin problem. God has dealt with the sin problem. Now, today we don't like to hear the word sin. In fact, oftentimes we equate sin with something that's good. Uh, You go to a restaurant today and you take a look at the dessert menu. And it will say, order this. This is sinfully delicious. That's code for it must be pretty good. But sin cost Jesus his life. Now he wants the world to to know that he doesn't hold that against them. 
He doesn't hold it against them. They don't have to be under guilt anymore. They can be freed from guilt as they put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ because He doesn't count their sins against them. He's died on the cross that their sins would be forgiven and, and, and carried away by the blood of Christ. Do we believe this? <laughs> this is good stuff, isn't it? Man, I, I don't know. No guilt. Jesus has paid it all. And people need to understand that this is the message that we proclaim as we seek to please the living God. Okay. Pastor friend of mine tells a story of a young collegian who took her ambassadorship very seriously. And she began to share what Jesus had done in her life with a fellow student. And she uh, delivered her whole gospel arsenal. Just shared what God had done in her life and how he had changed her life. And it was pretty obvious to this young lady that the person she was sharing with was not yet ready to make a commitment to Christ. But the young lady said, can I just pray with you? And so she just prayed a simple prayer. And in the middle of her prayer, she heard this gal weeping. And she was kind of surprised. So after the prayer, she said, well, well, what's wrong? This is what this other student said to her. I can't believe you're talking to him. This was personal to this collegian. And just in her prayer, the Holy Spirit began a work in this other person's life. You see, people today are looking for something that is real and genuine. There's an awful lot in our world today that is counterfeit. We have the truth. We have the gospel. And that's why notice in verse 20, we are therefore ambassadors as through God, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you, here it is, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled. He begs us to share the gospel. He begs us to get involved in this ministry of reconciliation, of letting others in our sphere of influence know how much God loves them. And that's why I'm going to challenge us here at East Bay Calvary from now on always to have an empty chair in your life group Bible studies, in your committee meetings, in your home groups. An empty chair representing a lost person. I want us to be praying all the time that God would help us to be ambassadors. I want this empty chair, whenever you see it, to remind all of us that God has called us to be ambassadors. That we have been given a message that is a compelling message. God wants us to be His hands and feet and transform we can't do the transforming that's the work of the Holy Spirit he wants us to share the life of Christ with others people today are willing to take incredible risks to find themselves if you listen to the first part of the message the statistics are not very good when we understand that North America is the only continent where Christianity is on the decline. Does that make any difference to us? You know the groups that are growing today? The atheists and the agnostics. They're growing by leaps and bounds. The cults are flourishing. The New Agers. You hear more today about Satanism than you do about the gospel.
You see, people are longing for something that makes sense. We have the greatest news. It's been given to us. Let's give it away. Can we do that? Let's start giving it away with all of our hearts. And once we are captivated by the love of Christ, we give Him our all. And we're all in. Can we say that together? We're all in. Well, that was weak. We're all in. Why? Because Christ's love compels us. And when we are all in, friends, we can never keep the gospel to ourselves. You see, God's plan has always been to use ordinary people like you and me to do His extraordinary work. Let's stand, shall we, for closing prayer. Father in heaven, we love you this morning, and we thank you for your book. We thank you for your word. Lord, help us to be all in. To not be a Christian in name only, but to be all in because we are literally compelled by the love that you have for this world. Oh, Spirit of Jesus, help us to be thinking right now about one or two people that we rub shoulders with every day that still don't have a relationship with you. Help us, Lord, to be intentional and begin building a relationship with these Dear people who, apart from the message of the gospel, are lost. We don't want anyone to miss heaven, Lord. We want to be salt and light. We want to persuade others by sweetness. We want to love them into the kingdom. I pray that East Bay Calvary will be a church that loves people into the kingdom. Because our love for you is burning hot. And our love for one another is obvious and real. And that people will see that you are Lord and Master. The moment they drive in on this campus, that they sense this is a place where Jesus rules and reigns. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning. morning. And Maranatha, have a great day in Jesus. God bless you.